بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Death and dying is something which obviously is very essential for all of us uh, to understand it something that we all recognize deep down at that moment of acknowledgement when we get up feeling a bit miserable the this feeling of being miserable is actually sometimes leads us to think about what we're doing in the world and um, where we're going to go with these things it's an unfortunate fact but that's the way Allah wants it that we don't remember death all the time if we did uh, things would be much better in this world it's because of the absence of death or the feeling of death or the consciousness of death that uh, most of us lead ourselves to doing things which are uh, disappropriate uh, inappropriate in this uh, in this world um, and so on and so forth so there are those times that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up reveals mortality for us and suddenly we realize that we are mortal souls that we're gonna also die that confidence suddenly recedes and we get that moment of reflection we stand upright we sit upright and we start thinking about it see the way if we go into the the makeup of the human who is an insan there's a big difference of opinion among the scholars as to what exactly is the insan when you say so-and-so is a human being. What are we pointing towards? Are we pointing towards his body? Are we pointing towards his heart in particular or his mind in particular? Certain part of his body maybe? Or is it the soul, the thing by which the body is alive? So first and foremost, that's the question is what exactly defines an insan? Who is the human being? Number two, if we separate the soul from the, the body, then what is the soul? How do you define the soul? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers, refers to that in the Quran, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ This was one of the three questions that were asked. One of the three questions that were asked uh, by the Jews, they asked that to the people of Mecca and said, you need to ask this to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If he answers all three of them with some detail, then that means there's something incorrect here. He should only be able to answer two of the questions and one he should abstain from answering. So he asked the three, they asked the three questions about Dhul uh, Qarnayn, etc. And Prophet responded. He didn't say, he didn't say insha'Allah. So he had to wait for a number of days before the actual revelation came. And then he responded to them. And then for the ruh, the last question, which is where is alunaka ani ruh, he said, uh, he said, I don't know much more about that. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed, qul ruhu min amri Rabbi, that the ruh is from the orders of my Lord, or from the matters of my Lord, or from the commands of my Lord. So that's why from this, uh, scholars have tried to understand: is ruh a body? Is it an abstract? Uh, or in philosophical language, is it an accident or is it a substance? So I think pretty much most agree that it is a substance, but it's unlike any other substance. 
because it's not created from something, it's created from the hukam of Allah. It's just created from kun. Allah wants it to be and it becomes. Now let's go into another hadith that really tells us something very interesting, which talks about the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, and the whole makeup of this. This is referred to in the Quran as the Ahdu Alast. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, he extracted from him the progeny. This is the details are mentioned in a hadith that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, Adam alayhi salam did not come from a sperm and an egg, but he was created from the soil of the earth. When he was created and the ruh, فَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِ فَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِ this nafkh, which means to blow the spirit, the blow the soul. This is what took place. Adam salam was a living being. When Adam salam became a living being, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he extracted, the Prophet tells us that Allah extracted all the progeny of Adam. Everybody that was to come from Adam salam, every child of his, which means every one of us, everyone who's passed and everybody that will come until the day of judgment. In the, what it says in the form of small ants. It doesn't have to be an ant, but it's just showing scale that this is probably what it was like to get everybody there. Allah has vast amounts of real estate anyway, but this is what it is. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested himself to them and he said, Alastu bi rabbikum, as Allah says in the Quran. Alastu bi rabbikum, qalu bala. He said, Of course you are. There was no pollution at the time. Nobody had been adulterated by any other thought process, any other ideology, any other belief. This was the time of purity, natural faith, the fitrah. This is what you call fitrah. This is what you call fitrah. So they all said, Bala, of course you are. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains that <clears throat> in the Quran that we did this to bear that you bear witness against yourself now when we come into this world we forget about this does anybody remember witnessing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and saying anybody here i mean there's some people who are nobody okay if you do remember let me know apparently if this is something that anybody wishes to deny then does anybody remember being in the womb? Something a bit more undeniable. Right? If we can't remember that. And subhanAllah, there, are, there have been people in history who've said that I really remember that. We remember this, this stage. It's kind of interesting. Khair, it doesn't make a difference. We forget it in this world. Now, we live, we live in this world as we're supposed to live. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us that this covenant, this ahad, was taken by you. He tells us through prophets. It's in the Quran. Very clearly. So a person is then shown the truth and the wrong. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires the haq and the batil, the right and the wrong, transgression and piety. A person lives in this life. But he's, that's the part of the challenge in this life. To live it based on these dictates against what the nafs may want. Against what the attractions of this dunya may dictate for us. That's the struggle. That's the challenge. That's where the concept of mortality and remembering death becomes very useful. Because when a person thinks of their death, then they're able to, 
they're able to be, be, be more conscious and less selfish. So, in the hereafter though, our life that we lived in this world will become completely clear and evident in front of us, undeniable reality. Because not only will it be right in front of us, there will be the books, the records of the Kiram and Katibin, of the angels, these noble writers, their records will be there. <laughs> that which is in the hearts will reveal itself. It's almost like the database. And this time that we're going through right now with all of the, the whistleblowers and the privacy laws and the spying and all the rest of it, it just makes this so much more easier for us to understand. And maybe these things are being revealed to us today because maybe our iman is not strong enough to just believe in the unseen, to believe in what Allah says in the Quran anyway. So that which is in the hearts will become revealed, will become open and declared. That is the hard drive of the heart that nobody is privy to. Nobody has any software to be able to read that right now. But that will become manifest in the world, in the hereafter. Then it says, Speaking about the earth, the earth that we walked on and we did whatever we did on, that, that is when it will reveal its news. Because Allah will inspire it to do so. So then we have another evidence in front of us. And then fourthly, there will be the limbs themselves, the specific limbs that will speak. Subhanallah. And the human will ask his limbs, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You're bearing witness against yourself. And the limbs will say, this is because Allah has told us to speak. And there's nothing that can stop it. So this will be evidence against us. So we'll have all of these things. So it will be totally uh, an absolute reality. That's why they say that nobody will enter Jahannam thinking he has been wronged, even in the least. You know, in this world, many criminals go down thinking that they've been either over-punished or wrongly punished. And sometimes this does become evident later on. But in the hereafter, Your Lord will not oppress anybody because everybody will be completely clear as to why they're going in. There'll be no, not even a sense, a sense of uh, oppression against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day or feeling of oppression from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. However, with all of saying all of that to bring the ruh in, uh, to bring the soul in and this covenant in, as, uh, when we die and we were resurrected, that is when the knowledge of this covenant will also become evident in our minds. Now what happens is we've got the covenant in our mind that we recognize Allah and we said we'd be obedient. And on the other hand, the entire story of our life is on the other hand. Now what happens with that? If they match and the life has been lived according to this, uh, there's happiness upon happiness. And if there's not, then there's loss uh, over loss. This is actually the final moments that when a person passes away. When a person is passing away, I'll mention a hadith about this, but when a person is passing away, this is also the realizations that hit them. It says that when a person starts passing away, reality strikes. They start seeing the world for what it really is. They see the truth as the truth and the wrong as the wrong. Then they see their whole life and how they spent it, what their likes and dislikes were, what level of obedience they had and what level of disobedience they had. And when that doesn't come together, that's why this is called the evil seeding state, su'ul khatima. This is called the su'ul khatima, 
the evil sealing state, the unending by which our life is sealed in an evil way. Evil way not because somebody else is making evil for us. They may be around us helping us out, you know, with the most luxurious uh, possibility uh, and facilities of dying. But inside, and that's what really matters. That's how a person goes from here. If it's a good state, it's called husnul khatima, which is the, the pleasant or the good seeding state. And that's what we hope to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, where our life is according to that. Now, the hadith, uh, uh, what happens then is that these arwah, they're in the loins of Adam alayhi salam. How exactly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But what the ulama mentioned is that we go through the generations, our forefathers. We go through our forefathers. Now, there's a part of this, it seems, which is within that. But this, the way the hadith explain it, the arwah in alamul arwah. The universe of the spirits, the world of the souls, the alam of the arwah. Allah knows exactly where that is. Right? There's a hadith that Imam Bukhari relates from Aisha radiallahu anha. She says that I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam saying, Al arwahu junudum mujannada. The souls or the spirits are these, you can say, gathered forces or an army, contingent armies. فَمَا تَعَارَفَ مِنْهَا اِئْتَلَفْ وَمَا تَنَاكَرَ مِنْهَا اِخْتَلَفْ Those that recognize each other, they have congeniality and friendship between them. They hit it off. And those that do not recognize each other, they differ. They don't have that congeniality. Now what is this speaking about? This is speaking about how you know, sometimes you come into a room and there's many people here today that I'm seeing for the first time. Now, I may start speaking to one of you, you may start speaking to me, and there may be some of us that will just hit it away straight away. Right? Okay, I like this guy, he's nice, I can get along with him. There'll be others who will be suspicious. Some of you may be there thinking, who is this suspicious guy speaking to us? Right? Now, the reason for this... Uh, according to the commentaries of this hadith given by Ibn Hajar and Nawi, etc., rahimahumullah, is that if a per, uh, there's two understandings of this. One is that if you are part of the same contingent or close enough or facing each other or whatever it is, however you describe that in that uh, realm of the, the, the souls, then it's much easier for you to recognize that person and be congenial with them in this world. And those that you are distant from or you are not part of their condition or otherwise, then it's more difficult. This doesn't mean that you will never be together. It's just that you may have noticed that sometimes you don't hit it off with somebody immediately. But then, you ha then after a while, you can become the best of friends. When you first saw them, you were maybe suspicious of them. Right? Maybe you were very negative towards them. But then after that, you became the closest of friends that nobody can separate. So this doesn't have to be a kind of a final decision about anything. It's just talking about a state. Just connecting the ruh, the alam of the ruh and the soul to this world that we live in. Another understanding of this is that people have been made uh, and constituted with different types of characteristics. So when you find somebody of a similar characteristic to you, that you find congeniality with, you'll hit it off with them and it'll be easier for you to do that. While with others, it'll take you more time maybe, or maybe you'll never hit it off with them. Either way, uh, one very interesting uh, story that's related in this, 
from Abu Ya'la is that Amra bint Abdul Rahman, she says that once there was a, a, a woman uh, in Makkah Mukarramah, one of the Muhajirat, and she was a, a joking personality, Mazzaha. She used to love to joke. When she moved to Medina Munawwara, she found the woman that she, was, uh, she stayed with. You know where they did the Mu'akhat, where uh, the Prophet ﷺ paired people up with each other? Uh, when, they, when the first uh, emigrators uh, went to Medina Munawwara, the Prophet ﷺ put them together. It's very interesting because what I remember from this story, uh, let me finish the, the hadith first. Um, Amr bint Abdurrahman says that this woman who was of a jokey nature, a humorous nature, she was paired with somebody of a similar nature, maybe coincidentally. Right? It just so happened that they came together. Allah knows best. But Aisha radiallahu anha says that Sadaqa Hibbi, my beloved, was absolutely truthful. Samitu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam say, and then he, she mentioned this hadith. Now, that, that rings another bell for me, which is that Abdurrahman ibn Auf, who was uh, uh, um, an, uh, an, a great businessman, he could make money from anything. And he used to say, I could pick up a stone and, and, and turn that into gold. I'll find gold underneath. And really, Allah had given him huge amounts. When he came to Medina Munawwara, he was also paired with some, one of the richest men in Medina Munawwara, who offered him half of everything he had. But Abdurrahman ibn Awf said, I don't want any of that. Just show me where the market is. And by the end of that day, he'd already brought some cheese back home and contributed. That's how Abdurrahman ibn Awf, independent, full of confidence, in that full of trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he just went from strength to strength. An absolute, he was a billionaire. So that gives us some understanding. Now let's go back uh, again to the embryonic stage. There's a hadith in Muslim which speaks about the embryonic stage. How it's in stages of 40 days each that the clot of blood after it has been uh, inseminated, uh, the, the, the egg has been inseminated, becomes a piece of flesh, then it becomes, uh, it becomes more of a, uh, an embryo. And then in the third trimester, 120 days, uh, according to the hadith of Ibn Masood, Muslim, that is when the soul is blown into it. So now what is happening here is that you've got the alam al-arwah, where all the souls are waiting to be appointed waiting to find bodies. Let's just say it that way, right? Waiting to find bodies. Now, each one has a story that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about for them and has designated and written about in a descriptive way that this is what they'll do. This is their lifespan. This is what they'll earn and so on. This is what the hadith mentions. So at this third trimester, 120 days, this is when this angel comes along and now links this ruh into this embryo. So now this is why in, uh, in Islam, 120 days is that cut-off day. For, because before 120 days, there's a possibility of abortion. So we're not like abortion is just completely off. There are certain cases, extreme cases, where abortion is allowed before 120 days, but not after 120 days, because now you have a life. You have a living being now, after 120 days. So the hadith mentions that it's time will be written, its lifespan will be written, and its uh, earnings, etc. Will, will all be written. Now, you can see how the link has come from uh, this repository of arwah and souls. It's been designated to this human being, and it's got its container, its vessel. So at the end of the day, now, who do you, what do you think is an insan? Is it this body that we spend so much time behind? That even men have makeup now? 
Right? It's understandable about women that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about women adorning themselves. It's understandable. It's from their nature. But then you already have men doing the same thing about their bodies. Right? So what is the insan really? Is it the soul? Is it the insan? Or what is it? Anyway, now we move on. This body, this embryo then becomes, uh, comes into the world. Now, what happens in this world is the body seems to be primary and it is primary the soul has a link to the body but the body is primary that's why we feel everything we sense everything we do everything and we refer everything to the body of the human being however when you've got a corpse there and the soul is gone do you still feel that that is still brother Ahmed there or sister Aisha is that still sister Aisha or do you feel they've gone somewhere like we know deep down that's the way it is so in this world, the body is primary, the soul is secondary. However, there's a link between the two, right? That's why we still dream and can go places in our dreams because the soul can go anywhere in their dreams. The body doesn't go anywhere, but we can have a nice trip around the world and come back. And that's the soul that can come back. Now, you might say, does that mean the person is dead while the soul has gone somewhere in a dream? No. It's a really sophisticated connection, right? It's a sophisticated connection. Almost they explained it like it's not the, the, the link between the soul and the body is neither a fully connected one, neither is it a totally separate one. So there's a category in between the two of being neither connected, neither separated. And this kind of really, really sophisticated relationship between the two. I'm just trying to really be as brief as possible because there's a lot of detail in each of these stages. I want to get to the last stage because that's the more important stage. Um, then what happens is we live, with it, we live this life. As people live this life and finish their time span in this world, the ajal, as mentioned in the hadith, then they die. Which means their soul now seems to not be in this body anymore. This body becomes limp. This body becomes lifeless. It's buried. In most cases it's buried. In other cases, it's cremated. Yet in other cases, it's mauled by an animal and it's digested. And yet in other times, it could be incinerated. And there could be so many different things that can happen to this body. But that's fine. It doesn't matter. Most people are probably still buried and their, their, their body still survives. But we've got this ruh, remember. So now the question about the grave. In the grave, what happens is... I'll just explain this briefly before I talk about, uh, before I bring the hadith about this in particular. But in the grave, the soul now becomes primary. When I say in the grave, I mean the alamul barzakh, this intermediate realm between this world and the resurrection on the hereafter. Because every human being goes through five stages alamul arwah, and then the embryonic stage, then coming out in this world and living this world. Then, as people are dying over the course of history, waiting for the Day of Judgment, there's so many billions of people who have died before us, there will be others that will die, then the Day of Judgment will occur. So what happens to all of these people who die until the Day of Judgment? So we go into this waiting room, this waiting realm, it's called the Barzakh, the intermediate realm. This I would just refer to as the grave. This is what we generally refer to as the grave, even though some people are not in a grave. When they go from this world. The hadith mentions that there's always going to be a portion of the body. A part of the body. Whether that be as small 
as just the DNA. Ajib al-Dhanab, that's what it mentions, the kokix. That is what is retained. Now you might say sometimes totally incinerated, there's still particles that remain. And from it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can recreate because He can recreate from nothing. So it, that's, that shouldn't raise any questions for us as it did for the people of Makkah where they challenged the Prophet sallallahu and one person brought two really uh, old, worn out bones and he, he uh, rubbed them together until they were powdered and he said, you're telling me that we will have a resurrection from this? And Allah says, I've created from nothing. Then why should this be a question? Adam was created from nothing in that sense. So then what happens is when we're resurrected in the grave or in this intermediate realm, the soul now becomes primary. That's why there is punishment and there is there is pleasure to be experienced because the soul is still. Now that could be done through the body because you know you have these narrations that speak about punishing the body of the person. Now if a person thinks that I can escape if I don't have a body and I get cremated, the, the soul is still there to experience it because the soul is primary, the body is secondary. So the body doesn't even have to be there. Somehow this person will gain all of that in because the souls are very much alive. The souls do not die. The only time the soul dies, according to the majority opinion, is on Qiyamah. That's when everything, including angels, become nothing. And only Allah remains. And then they're resurrected again. Subhanallah. But through this process, it's the body that dies. The soul is just extracted. And that's why we've had experiences of individuals there was just a, uh, an account of one of the uh, one of the awliya Allah recently that I read, where he's saying he, he is lying down and he's saying, "Look, I feel the soul has been extracted by my feet. Now it's reached my knees. Now it's reached my waist, and then finally it comes out like this. And that's why uh, generally people are generally seeing looking up because they've gone after Allahu Adam. But there's been experiences like this as well. It's kind of very interesting." Then in the hereafter, once a person is uh, the, on the Day of Judgment, which is the fourth life, which is the hisab, the accounting, the reckoning, then a person goes into the fifth life of Jannah to Jahannam, or Jahannam then Jannah for the Usatul Mu'mineen, for, uh, for, for the sinners among the believers. But during that final life is when a person is given. So if in this life, the body is primary and the soul is secondary, in the Qabr, in the Barzakh, the soul is primary, the body is secondary. But in the hereafter, the body and soul are both primary in equal measures. That's why you feel full pleasure in Jannah, because it will be needed. That kind of bandwidth will be needed to get everything, that, to, to feel the pleasure of what Allah has prepared for us there. And likewise, for those who are in hellfire, body, spirit, both, full faculties are given to really feel the intense punishment that is there. Allah preserve us from that. That is the relationship between the ruh and the body. Now, let's just uh, look at another hadith about when a person dies. So now this is when a person is just about or rather he's about to die. He is dying. He or she is dying. The soul is being extracted. What happens? Where does the soul go first? So now the soul there's a hadith that's related by Imam Ahmad. It's a Sahih narration. Uh, Imam Ahmad relates from Bara ibn Azib anhu that the Prophet said, "Inna al-Abd al-Mu'min 
إذا كان في انقطاع من الدنيا وإقبال من وإقبال الآخرة نزل إليه ملائكة من السماء. This tells you in very specific words the Prophet sallallahu is saying that when a believer, a believing servant is about to depart. He's in between departing from the world, inqita'im min dunya departing the world and looking towards the, the next. So he's in this, sta- in this uh, halfway stage. These angels, they descend from the heavens. It's a special contingent of angels that are bidul wujuh, extremely bright-faced. Ka'anna wujuhum ashams. As though this, that their faces are like the sun. So there's this brightness about them to bring happiness. Right? To people. It says, They have shrouds from Jannah. And also Hanud, the special fragrance the preparation that is used for, uh, to anoint the, uh, the, the, the disease. They have a special mixture. Uh, from Jannah that nobody can buy in this world. Uh, they sit with him at a distance that, uh, of his sight. And then, so they're waiting there. Waiting there with this preparation. Remember, he hasn't had his shroud of the, the world yet because he's just dying right now. So they already come. And you know, when a nice bright-faced person comes into the into a room, it just makes you feel nice. So this is kind of a focus on that. Whether the person is dark in color, uh, Complexion-wise, it's about a brightness of the face. I w- visited West Africa, and you see, mashallah, the be- uh, some of the the, the awliya and the believers they have the nur, right? So it's not about black or white. So white people shouldn't think that they're any better than black people in that sense. It's about the brightness and illumination of iman. That's what's being referred to here. So then, what happens is they're waiting, and then the malakul maut appears. This is the angel of death. The angel of death appears. And he goes, he's not frightened of anything, goes and stands, sits right by the head of this person and says, Oh, pleasant soul. Oh, pleasant soul. He's not saying, Oh, Ahmad. Oh, Yusuf. He's saying, Oh, pleasant soul. Come out, be extracted. Depart to the, uh, to, to the forgiveness of Allah, to the forgiveness of Allah and to His satisfaction, to His pleasure. What a state, what a state. فَتَخْرُجُ تَسِيلُ كَمَا تَسِيلُ الْقَطْرَةُ مِنْ And so then it just, just drops out, it just flows out. There's no difficulty there, there's no harassment of this soul. It just flows out like a drop flows from the mouth of a bottle. Or mouth of a container. It just flows out so easily. He takes hold of it, but those angels do not allow it to drop to the ground or for anything else to happen. And they quickly, the blink of an eye, they will come and grab this soul. This is the shrouding of the soul, not the shrouding of the body. The body is being shrouded by the human beings eventually. But the shrouding of the soul takes place beforehand. That's a glad tiding already. Subhanallah. Now you understand why when people die, you want to move them into the grave as soon as possible. 
Don't wait for the guys who are coming from Blackburn or Bolton or Manchester or whatever. You know, he wants to go. And that's why the hadith mentions, quickly do it. Because if he's a good person, then you're just stopping him from what he really wants. And if he's a bad person, then why do you want to have him around anyway? Right? So, they put him into that kafan and into that mixture that they, they apply, that mixture of hanut on them. And then he goes fragrant, so fragrant and smelling so good that there is nothing that smells as good. It's as the best of must that you will ever smell in this world. وَجِدَتْ عَلَى وَجْهِ الْأَرْضِ As they go, they meet different uh, angels, different contingent of angels doing different things. They go up to the heavens. Any angel they go past, this angel is wondering what is this beautiful, uh, what is this beautiful insan, this beautiful soul that's going past. What is this beautiful that is going past? So, ما هذا الروح الطيب? What is this elegant soul, this fabulous soul that's going past? He says, فلان ابن فلان بأحسن أسمائه. So the, the angels will, will respond and say, it's so and so using the best of his names that he would have liked to be called by in this world. Until, he go, until they go to the, the first heaven. When they get to the first heaven, they will ask for it to be opened. Just like the Prophet ﷺ asked for it, uh, the Jibreel asked for it to be opened during the ascension of the Prophet ﷺ. You have to, have, to get, get through the guards at that door. So he, they ask for it to be opened. It's open for them and they are welcomed. This soul is welcomed. At every heaven, the seven heavens, at every heaven, this soul is welcome. What a, what a welcome. What a welcome. Subhanallah. Until they get to the seventh heaven and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Uktubu kitaba abdi. Uktubu kitaba abdi fi illiyeen. Write the name, write the record. Uh, write the record of this servant of mine in the a'la illiyeen, in the highest levels. Now the ala illiyin, the illiyin, and you have the sijin. The illiyin is the record of the pious ones. Or it's a state, it's a place, the high rank, the penthouses, the upgraded quarters, whatever you want to call it. And when you say upgraded in Jannah, I mean Jannah itself is subhanallah. And then when you say upgrade there, you know, you can just imagine. So write his name there, but return the soul back to the earth. Earthly matter. It has to go back to the earth. Return the soul to the earth. Designate his space there. Record him to be there. Get his booking there. But return him to, to the earth because that is from which I created him. I created him from the soul. So he has to go back there. And that is where I will have to return him. And it's from the earth that I will then resurrect them the second time. And that's why we read this when we're taking the soil and putting it into the grave over our disease. We say, As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it, we say the same thing. Then this ruh comes back into the body. But now this ruh is primary, remember? Is in the grave is primary. Now what happens is, by this time or after this time, simultaneously, the people are sorting, bathing, ghusl, shroud, etc. And eventually, 
it says that this body, uh, when this soul comes back into the body, then eventually it's going to be set up into the grave by the angels Munkar and Nakir. The Munkar and Nakir, they're going to sit him up or her up or whatever it, whoever it is and start asking the questions. Man Rabbuk. Now, of course, if you've already had this experience and then the angels come and say, who's your Lord and what is your deen? It's going to be an enjoyable session. You're confident. There's no, there's no terror whatsoever. There's no grief at all. It's total happiness and bliss right from this moment. Bliss doesn't start later. It starts here from as soon as a person is departing. That's why you see smiles on certain people's face when they die. You see the smell of musk coming from them. And that could be that hanut that we're speaking about, which is just somehow Allah has allowed it to rend the veils in between and find itself into the world. And that's why you have people whose graves smell for, for long afterwards. Then the Prophet ﷺ carried on and he mentioned how a disbeliever's soul will be taken. And he says, it will be taken. Each, it's not going to be as pleasant as this. But the, the main thing is that when they get to the heavens or any angel they go past, they will recognize this as a disgusting ruh. As a disgusting soul. And that's why they will say, What is this repugnant soul? What is this ugly thing you've brought? What is this filthy thing that you've brought? And they will say, Fulan ibn Fulan ismin. And they will say, It's so and so with the worst of the names that he, he would have liked to have been called by. Until eventually they get to the first heaven. And the first heaven they ask for it to be opened, but it's not opened. It is not opened. And that's where the Prophet ﷺ recited from the Quran, The doors of heavens will never be opened for them. They will not enter Jannah. Until a camel is able to go through the eye of a needle, which is an impossibility. So, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, when he sees that dilemma, he'll say, Write, record his name, give him a booking in the sijin. This is the, this is the, re the register of the worst of the people. This is where their names will be designated, that they must go there. In the lowest of the earth, levels of the earth. So his, his soul will just be flung. There's no nobility and honor here. His soul will just be flung. And that's why then uh, the Prophet ﷺ read, That anybody who, is, who does shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it's like he's just been thrown. He's just fallen from the heavens. He's just fallen from the heavens and then a bird uh, will pick at him or the, the, the wind will just take him. So he's essentially just left like, Finally, his ruh is brought back into the jasad simultaneously with all that's going on in the world. And then he is also made to sit up by the munkar and nakir that come in these weird forms. And then he's also asked the question, Man Rabbuk, if he's already not frightened, then this is the worst of situations that he will face. What kind of an answer will he give on that day? So that gives us an understanding of what happens immediately afterwards, then the questioning that happens. And after the questioning, then the Prophet ﷺ explained that this 
grave of yours, which is the barzakh, is the first stage of the hereafter. After all of this has happened, this is the first stage of the hereafter. It's either a garden of paradise for you, or it's a pit of hell. So likewise, if it's a, if it's a person who's designated for hellfire and has had this treatment, then his ribs are crushed because the earth just contracts and says that you are the worst of the people who are on me. And today I'm so happy to have you here so that I can do what I've always wanted to do for you. It's like this sadist earth speaking, like from a horror movie, you know, one of the worst that you can think of. I don't watch horror movies, but you know, and if it's a good person, the earth contract, uh, the earth ex uh, expands. And says, and then there's a door of Jannah that's opened up. So again, you feel this through the soul. Because the soul is now primary and the body is secondary there. Now a person stays in that state, enjoying or in punishment. And then as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about, uh, the, uh, about Pharaoh, um, ala ashad al Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when the day of judgment will occur, enter Pharaoh into a worse punishment. I bring this up because a worse punishment, that means there must have been a punishment before. He wasn't being punished in the earth. He already had a punishment in the end of being drowned in the way he did. But the punishment in the grave and now worse punishment. This is just one of the verses that indicate the punishment in the grave. And there's a number of others. And there's an ijma of the ulama in this case anyway. So a person stays in that state. How long does that feel? I don't know. How long will that feel? Because for some people it'll be thousands of years. For some people it'll be a very short time. How long does it feel? I don't know. All we have to worry about is, is that it feels good. Because if it feels good, then a thousand years, then what's the problem? Ten thousand years, what's the problem? You got, a, a, you, got, you, you got something coming, uh, you got a breeze coming from Jannah, the scents and fragrance coming from Jannah. What's the problem with all of that? Anyway, now let's move on. The soul doesn't have to stay in the grave though. It comes back to answer these questions. But then after that, where does the soul go? So where is the soul before Jannah and Jahannam? Before the day of reckoning, where is the soul in this time? So yes, it always is going to have a connection with the, with the body, if there's a body, right? But as I said, the soul is going to be now reign supreme primary. The soul, depending on who the person is, is either going to be in the middle of Jannah, around the edges of Jannah, or at the doors of Jannah, or others will not be allowed even up to the heavens. You already have some idea about this. So now let's, let's look at this. If we look at, um, there, there's a, a number of opinions here, which I'll then try to conclude afterwards. Ibn al-Qayyim in his Kitab al-Ruh, in his wonderful book, he's gotten the Ruh, the soul. It's a, a wonderfully written book. He, he, he mentions that, uh, one, one group, they say that the souls of believers will be bifina il jannah, in the courtyards of jannah. They won't be allowed inside, but they'll be at the doors of jannah, on the outskirts, in the courtyards. They will still benefit from the fragrance, from the sight and everything else. They will benefit from that. Another group says that they will actually just be in their qubur in their graves. Imam Malik had an opinion. He's, uh, he, uh, Imam Malik has a narration in which he says that souls can go anywhere they want. Souls can travel anywhere they want. 
this has some backing because the Prophet ﷺ, on his ascension from Makkah Mukarramah when he was taken to Jerusalem first, on the way he meets Musa salam in Baytul uh, uh, in Turi Sina by his grave. He speaks to him there. He meets him again in Baytul Maqdis in Jerusalem where he leads him in prayer and with the other prophets. Then he meets him again on the sixth heaven. And that entire exchange takes place. So a ruh is able to travel. Meaning there's a possibility there. Right? And we don't want to get too much into that because then people get a bit obsessed with this whole thing. I saw my dead mother and, you know, and people work up a lot of ideas. These are not impossibilities, I'd like to say. They're within the realm of possibilities. But the, the one has to be careful of how they deal with this because shaitan can also come in the forms of people and try to mislead people. So there is that possibility of delusion there, which is not with Rasulullah wasallam. However, it can't be denied. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, according to a, a transmission of his son Abdullah, he says, Arwahul kuffari finnar, that the souls of disbelievers is, are in the hellfire, while the souls of believers will be in Jannah. Another group of Sahaba and Tabi'een, they, they had an opinion that they will, uh, they, they will be in a certain place in the world, that's where they gathered. Wallahu alam. Ka'ab al-Ahbar, he mentions arwahul mu'minina fi illiyin fi sama'i sabi'ah. They'll be in the illiyin on the seventh heaven. Well, we already know that they will be designated there. Again, all of this seems to that they're all taking certain narrations and considering them to be the primary narration. If we put it all together, because there's yet another opinion which comes from another hadith in which Rasulullah went up to the first heaven. Adam was there. He was looking to his right and smiling. Then he looked to a group on his left and he was crying. So the Prophet asked, what happened there? He said, oh, on his right are all of his children that did well in the world and he's smiling about them. And on his left are all the sinners and that's why he's really, really unhappy about that. So some people say, this is where the roofs will stay. Right? So they've taken it from this narration because we have this number of these different narrations. Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri seems to have left it as a, uh, you know, uh, abstained from committing to anything. He says they are where they were before. Where in the Alam al-Arwah, in the beginning, that's where they'll go back to, wherever that is. And Allah knows best. So this is not part of our aqidah, we must know where they are. All our aqidah is that they exist and they will feel punishment and they will suffer or they will feel pleasure. That's all we need to believe. But I just thought this is uh, uh, information that is inshallah beneficial for us. Anyway... Let's just take it like this. What we have in terms of the most authentic way of understanding this from the Anbiya. Where will the, the souls of the Prophets be? Souls of the Prophets will be obviously in the highest places in Jannah. That's no doubt about that. Because that's what the Prophet said. I want to be the highest friends, highest companion. Whether he's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or he's referring to this group of people. Right, and that's what Aisha radiallahu anha said. She heard from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, of course, among the prophets, there will be different stages because Ibrahim alaihissalam is a very high-level prophet. But then again, though they are there, they can also be seen in other places. Like Adam alaihissalam is on the first heaven in a hadith of Muslim. Adam alaihissalam was the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam met Adam alaihissalam on the first heaven. On the second one, he met Isa alaihissalam and Yahya alaihissalam. Now Isa Islam is still alive anyway, so he's there on the second heaven according to this hadith. On the third one, he met Yusuf alayhi salam. 
on the, the fourth one, he met Idris alayhi salam. On the fifth one, he met Harun alayhi salam. On the sixth one, he met Musa alayhi salam. And on the seventh, he met Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam was there relaxing with his back to the Kaaba of the angels. Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur, which is up there on the seventh heaven. And 70,000 angels go around that every day. And once an angel has done his tawaf once, they never get to do it again in their existence because there's such a large number of angels. So we're still lucky that even every five years, or for Umrah, we can still go more to see our Kaaba and do tawaf around it. So anyway, that's the prophets. The second highest level group in this hierarchy are shuhada, are the martyrs. Now, in terms of the martyrs, you have وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ الَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتًا بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَقُونَ Do not for even a moment ever think that those people who are killed in the path of Allah are dead. Are dead, but they are very much alive and they are even being sustained by their Lord. They're being sustained by their Lord. That's why there is a hadith in which it mentions that when the, when the shuhada enjoy this with their souls, they enjoy this, how are they being fed? Allah knows best, right? That when they enjoy this, they want to tell the people behind them. We'd love to tell the people behind. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I'll tell them for you. And thus this Quranic verse, he has, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this. Uh, according to a uh, narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu in Muslim, he says, we asked the Prophet ﷺ about this. And he said, Their souls are in the stomachs of these green birds. Green birds in Jannah. They're by the arsh. There are some lamps that are suspended from the heavens. That is the place they stay. They stay under the, under the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by these lamps. And from there, they can go and enjoy wherever they want in Jannah and they come back there. So they take these trips into Jannah from this landing stage under the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is according to this hadith of Sahih Muslim. So um, what we understand is this is the special status that is given to martyrs in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there's a number of other narrations. I'm not going to go into that right now. But the Prophet ﷺ said about Ja'far, his cousin, Ali radiallahu anhu's brother when he was martyred. He said, رَأَيْتُ جَعْفَرَ ابْنَ أَبِي طَالِبْ مَلَكًا يَطِيرُ فِي الْجَنَّةِ مَعَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ That his two arms were made into wings and he could fly around in Jannah as he wished. So that's again another shaheed who's in that state. Now, the believers, pious, righteous believers, will have to separate them from non-pious believers. Uh, pious believers, they are also, some say that they are birds in Jannah. They become like birds in Jannah and they can go around. Um, that they will hang on to the, uh, the trees of Jannah. And Jannah is essentially trees, is essentially lush greenery. Jannah is called Jannah. Because Jannah ya Jannu means to hide and conceal. That's why the Jinnat, the Jinn, is called a Jinn. And because it's this greenery that is just covering everything there, this lush green uh, uh, freshness, that's why it's called Jannah. Jannah is a garden essentially. That's why how it should be translated. We say paradise and kind of think of buildings maybe. But there are buildings in there as well. But it's a lot of outdoor. Because you don't have to worry about this weather here. Right? This hadith is in... 
Imam Malik relates this hadith, so does Imam Ahmad, Nasai, etc. And it's a Sahih narration that the believers, they will be like these birds in Jannah. And they will go uh, and hang on to the trees of Jannah and so on and so forth. Because they've allowed, they've been allowed, they've got access. It's the disbelievers who don't have access to the first heaven. Right? Now, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he mentions, Hafid Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, uh, we also have hadith that there is, there, there is uh, the soul will come back to the body. So it can come back to the body whenever it wants, apparently, or when Allah wants it to. And how the body will still feel the pain or the punishment. Again, how exactly the, the logistics of all of this works or the dynamics, Allah knows best. We just believe in what uh, our Prophet has told us. Finally, arwahul usat. Among the believers, the, the, the transgressors, the sinners, what happens to them? So the Prophet saw this in one of his dream ascensions. Many of you must have heard this hadith. The Prophet was taken uh, in a dream ascension apparently. And he was shown these, these really, really... Uh, disgusting sights in Jannah where there was one man who used to speak lies he wasn't very considerate about telling the truth and uh, hooks were being used by the angels to pull his cheek and tear his cheek from one end to the other then it would become fine again and then they would tear it again and this was just being repeated then you had the other one who uh, whose face was just being crushed with a stone every time he came close it was just being crushed then it would come back together and the pain that they would have to go go through in that then there's the ones who used to miss the prayer and that that's the one whose whose heads were being crushed whose heads were being crushed those who would miss prayers then there were the fornicators who were in that in that uh, tanur in that uh, oven and uh, they would come up uh, with the flames and then they would go back down and there's a number of uh, there's a, a number of other there was the other one who used to who used to usury uh, interest he was involved in interest and he was he had to swim in a uh, sea of blood so there's that one so this is it says that these will be the different types of punishment that will be shown to them allah, allah knows best exactly how that will work out so then you have obviously the According to a hadith of Abu Hurairah, which Nasai relates, that as for the kafir and what he will experience, and after his ruh has been taken, it, it explains a similar way that we've already decided, that then it will feel this punishment, and so on and so forth. When it comes to children of believers and disbelievers, there is some difference of opinion. However, it seems like the majority uh, even for children of disbelievers is inclined to the fact that they will be in Jannah. There are about 10 opinions on this. There'll be khadims in Jannah, there'll be birds in Jannah, they'll be uh, made into nothing or they'll be tested. There's many different opinions but the strongest opinion for both believers, uh, children of believers and disbelievers is that inshallah they'll be in Jannah. But the conviction with believers is much stronger in that case. So having, having said all of this, the, the main thing for us to understand is that this is the relationship that we have uh, with our soul. And the human is not called insan because of the body. And once we start realizing that, then we will start thinking about the hereafter a bit more. Because if we focus entirely on feeding and pampering and preserving our body, then one we have to understand that our body is going to perish one day.
There's going to be a small amount that will remain or from the remains Allah will recreate on the Day of Judgment. What's going to happen then on the Day of Judgment is that after the trumpet has been blasted and even now the souls, wherever they are, they will all perish as well and so will the angels, including the angel of death according to the strongest opinion. Then Allah will remain and He'll say, who is there that's still, who is there besides me today? Finally, Allah will then recreate Israfil alayhi salam, the one who blows the trumpet. He will blow the trumpet and from this blowing now, this second, third blast, everybody will be resurrected. There'd be two blasts before that. This will be the third blast and everybody will be resurrected. Now, it says that there will be water of hayat, life-giving water. It's a special water, right? Somebody can discover it, it'd be wonderful. But that will shower down and then Allah will reconstruct a body from that last particle that is still preserved of every human being. And they will be given bodies again. Now you also know that in Jannah, your, your, the body you will be given is of a 30 to 33 year old, which is the prime. You don't want to be given as a child. I mean, what are you going to do in Jannah? Just play around with Lego all day, right? You want to be given 30, 33. That's like the prime. That's why a woman came to the, an old woman came to the Prophet and said, to make du'a for her. And the Prophet ﷺ said that old women are not going to go into Jannah. And that was the end of it for her. She, she started crying and weeping. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, this was a joke. This was his part of humor. He said, you'll all be young in Jannah. Approximately 30, 33, because that's like the prime. And everybody will be tall. Everybody will be tall. So, mashallah, you'll be able to really enjoy. This is nothing, right? That's Jannah. But then if that same thing happens in hellfire, then you can imagine what kind of punishment and pain there is. So we really pray to Allah. We, 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 we get encouraged by Jannah. But then at the same time, we balance it with the fear of hellfire so that we don't take too much of this. Now, the, the last point to, to finish off with, they say that for the most of your life, you should be more fearful so that it drives you. But at the end of your life, Towards the end of your life. You know when you can't do much now. You may be just getting by. You may be being served by others. Because you can't even move anymore. Then at that time, shaitan tries to create extra fear. I've seen this myself. There was an old person, really nice man in our community. He started thinking the wildest of thoughts. Yet he was such a confident individual before. Religious, spent his, as far as I remember in the masjid. As far as I remember, every salat is in the masjid, right? But he's having these weird thoughts. This is what shaitan tries to do. He makes you despondent so that you say something crazy and you spoil everything. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, Actions are according to the ending. Actions are according to the ending states. So you, we all have time. Doesn't matter how bad we've been before or how bad anybody's been before. Have hope at the end. Do something because Tawbah wipes out everything. The person who makes Tawbah is like the one who has no sin. Subhanallah. And that is valid until the soul, until the angels come and you start seeing reality. Then everybody wants to make Tawbah. But then it's too late. Even Fir'aun, they say, tried to make Tawbah at that time. When he saw reality. And it says, Wallahu alam in the, in the, in the tafsirs, that the angel had to shove something down his throat to stop him. Just so that Allah doesn't have mercy on him. Because that's the mercy of Allah. They know the mercy of Allah that Allah could even forgive if he wants to. Even the Pharaoh. So if that's the case with Pharaoh, that the angels had to do this for Pharaoh, so that he doesn't utter any good words at that time, 
because he was such a bad guy. Then can you imagine for us who claim to be followers of Muhammad sallallahu Pharaoh used to say, Ana rabbukum al-a'la. I am your highest Lord. What we do is we go into sajda and we say, Subhana Rabbi al-a'la. Glorified be our Lord most high. So can we not expect better from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really give us. Allah help us, Allah preserve us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that balance in this world. Give us an understanding and allow us to remember our death. And allow us to, that mortality to become a reality in our life. Understanding of that. And Allah help us. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.